Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to Mariner's Church. Hey, I am so grateful for the ways that our church, we are investing in the multiplication of the church here in Southern California. You know, as the lead pastor of Mariners North Irvine, every single week, I actually get to see the fruit of this investment in the community of people at Mariners North Irvine. I I get to see people trust Jesus, grow in their faith in community, find ways to serve one another, their cities and around the globe. So I am so excited for the ways that Mariners continues to invest in these Mariners congregations and in new cities in Southern California. And I can't wait to see what God is gonna do. Well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a dad of four young kids. Uh, it, I just felt tired just even saying that. But of our four kids, I have one daughter, Elizabeth. So in reality, I, I have one child and three free bodyguards. It's fantastic. So you can imagine how, how loved Elizabeth is in our household. Well, my parents, they have a total of six grandkids. But of the six grandkids, they only have one granddaughter. So if she is loved in our household, you can only imagine how loved she is by our grandparents. Well, we do kind of have a problem. My my daughter, she has this condition on six years going 16. Uh, I mean, she is quick on her feet, snarky. She loves to troll, make fun of people. It's glorious. One Friday afternoon, my mom, she comes over to help around the house and to give us some support, make some delicious lunch. And she is just doting on her granddaughter. I mean, she is just telling her how wonderful she is, how beautiful she is, gushing with affection and praise. And at one moment, she says to little Liz, oh, one day I'm gonna see you on your wedding day in your beautiful wedding dress. I can't wait to see how beautiful you're gonna look in your wedding dress. Little Liz, with a twinkle in her eye, with a big smile on her face, she says, oh, I will get married one day, but I'm gonna get married after you pass away. Oh, so painful. But little Liz, she thought it was the funniest thing. Until one week later, her little goldfish passed away. She cried all afternoon. As a father, I try to do the right thing. I try to comfort her by telling her that a beautiful, shiny fairy, a fish fairy, a beautiful, shiny white fish fairy carried her off to a beautiful place. And I thought it was really, really funny. Until a month later, I found myself as a pallbearer um, for a dear friend whose mother passed away. And on that day, nothing was funny. You know, our church, we're currently in a series exploring what the Bible has to say about the end of our lives and the end of the world. And whether you identify yourself as a Christian or you're currently exploring the Christian faith, we can all agree on on the reality of death. We're all gonna, um, can I say it? We're all gonna die. And our culture, we are so uncomfortable talking about death, aren't we? I mean, have you noticed that we don't even like the word death? We, we like to substitute other words, things like passed away or, or moved on to a better place. We, we don't even like to use the, the term graveyards. We'd rather call them uh, cemeteries or memorial parks. We wanna take this topic and just shove it under the rug, six feet under the rug. And anyone who wants to talk about death or the will, we think that they're just morbid. 
right? This is why some have said that we in the West, we in the Western hemisphere, we are a death-denying culture. Why? Why are we so uncomfortable talking about death? Some have said that we're uncomfortable because we don't have an actual solution for it. Uh, The surgeon, Atul Gawande, in his best-selling 2014 book, Being Mortal, he said this, I'm in a profession that has succeeded because of its ability to fix. If your problem is fixable, we know just what to do. But if it's not, the fact that we have had no adequate answers to this question is troubling and has caused callousness, inhumanity, and extraordinary suffering. So some have said it's because we don't have a solution for death. Others have said it's because it presents for us an irreconcilable dilemma between the beauty of of human life and the cruelty of of death. The cultural um, anthropologist, um, Ernest Becker, in his Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death, he described it in this vivid way. He said, man is literally split in two. He has an awareness of his own splendid uniqueness in that he sticks out of nature with a towering majesty. And yet he goes back into the ground a few feet in order to blindly and dumbly rot and disappear forever. It is a terrifying dilemma to be in and to have to live with. It produces and presents for us an irreconcilable dilemma. And while these may be true, I wonder if there's one other reason for why our culture around us is so uncomfortable talking about death. It's It's an obvious one, namely, We don't know what happens after death. We don't know what happens. What happens when we die? What happens after we die? We do not know. And that question mark, which presents an ambiguity about life after death, it presents a terrifying question mark, one that we are very uncomfortable with. I mean, I remember one time I was in the mall and and I struck up a conversation with a a gentleman and we just started talking because, you know, my wife was shopping and so I was waiting and we talked for like three hours. No, we talked for a little bit and the conversation started to get more serious and it started to become even existential in nature. And so I kind of fired off this question. Hey, so what do you think happens when we die? And I will never forget in that moment, the way that his facial expression changed. And suddenly he said, no one knows that. No one can answer that question. No one knows. No one knows. And that is a terrifying thought to live with. Our culture does not know how to answer what happens when we die. What happens when we die? Well, today uh, we're gonna answer two pressing questions from that question, what happens when we die? And how can we best prepare for that moment today? And you're gonna be encouraged because when we look in the scriptures, the scriptures is able to answer both of these questions, what happens when we die? And how can we best prepare for that moment today? And what we're gonna find really is when it comes to mortality, there is no one more trustworthy. There's no one worth entrusting ourselves to more than Jesus. And so today you're gonna have an opportunity to do that and and trust Jesus and say, I believe. But the first question we're gonna answer is, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? Well, before we look in the scriptures, we first have to have an honest conversation about what our culture and society thinks happens when we die. Here are some of the views. One view uh, that our world and culture has is the view of, of extinction. And in extinction, this view says that, well, we live, we live physically on this 
earth, and then when we die, that's it. We just disappear from existence. We live, we die, that's it, extinction. Another view uh, in our culture is that of, of reincarnation. Reincarnation. In this view, the view says that we live and we will come back in the next life as another kind of material creation. I mean, you and I, we might come back as, as the soil. We might come back as, as the seed. Maybe we might come back as a plant, but we live and depending on how you live, you will come back in the next life as another life form. There's a third view and that's really memorialization. And in memorialization, it also says that you can live on, not literally, but figuratively. You live on really through, through the memories, the treasured memories that others have of you, that as they tell stories about you, who, what you were like, uh, your character and funny moments, you get to, in a sense, live on through their memories. Extinction, reincarnation, memorialization. Those are some of the views of our culture regarding what happens when we die. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say happens when we die? Well, the Bible does not affirm the view of extinction, reincarnation, or memorialization, but it teaches a different view, declaration. Declaration. Namely, that there will be a, a divine pronouncement, a verdict about our lives from our God that the God who created us, that the God who is the author of all of life and therefore is, can be the one rightful judge, he will sit on his throne, on his seat of judgment, and he will give a divine verdict, either saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you, a declaration. When we move on from this life, we will stand before the author of life and give an account of our lives. We find this teaching um, being taught by someone in the New Testament who taught about the grace of God and the love of God, arguably more than anyone else, the apostle Paul. And yet he held this position about what happens when we die. We find this in a couple of places in the Bible, but we also find this in one of his most personal letters in the letter of 2 Corinthians. To give you some context, uh, Paul had a tumultuous relationship with the Corinthian church. And so he writes 2 Corinthians, to prove to them his credentials as an apostle, that he really is the real deal. And so he recounts the ways that he has suffered and been persecuted on account of the gospel. And yet he says, he deposits into this moment, what motivates and what drove him was actually this declaration moment that would come before God on the judgment seat of Christ when he dies. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse five reads, now the one who prepared us for this very purpose, that's our eternal future, is God who gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment in our souls. So we're always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord who is in heaven. For we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord in his presence. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. But now notice his motivation here in verse 10, for we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is fascinating. We find a couple of really insightful things here. One, what we find is that what motivated Paul in his life was the end motivated his today. So on the one hand, Paul wanted to be in the presence of God, but at the same time, he said, I live by faith, not by sight. I make it my aim to be pleasing to God in all that I do because what motivates me is one day I'm gonna come before the judgment seat of Christ. But secondly, this is really insightful because we get Paul's thoughts about what he thinks will happen when we die. And what he does not think will happen is that when we die, we will take some sort of ethereal escalator into some sort of cloud space. That is not what Paul believes. He does not say, I can't wait to die so I can go to heaven. No, what he says is, when I die, I will come before the judgment seat of Christ. I will come before him and he will give an account, a pronouncement, a declaration about how I've lived in this life. He's saying, when we move on from this life, we will come before the author of life and give an account of our lives. See, this, this idea would have been so vivid for the original recipients of the letter of 2 Corinthians. Because that word, you know that phrase judgment seat? In the original Greek, it's the word bima. The bima seat was an actual literal seat in Corinth. It would have been a, a beautiful seat. Uh, it would have been made of marbles and beautifully designed. And here's why because the Bema seat, it was a tribunal bench for uh, the Roman court, courtroom. In other words, it was a seat, a literal seat for a Roman governor or ruler to come and sit in his seat to take his rightful place, the place of authority, and publicly give a verdict and a pronouncement and declaration about everyday issues. He would give judgments to people, citizens. In fact, do you know where the Bema seat was in Corinth? The Bema seat in Corinth was at the center of a large marketplace. In other words, the pronouncements, the declarations were heard openly, publicly for all to hear. In fact, Paul himself, according to Acts 18, he once actually stood before the Bema seat in Corinth because some were offended by the way that he was sharing the gospel. So he actually came before the Bema seat in Corinth and all heard the judge, the ruler, declared judgments about Paul. So Paul is saying, do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when I stood before the Bema seat and you heard the voice, the authoritative voice of the, of the ruler echo in the marketplace in the same way one day, Jesus will take his rightful place in the divine Bema seat. And all of us, every single one of us, we will stand before this seat and he will give a verdict. Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. This day is coming for all of us. You know, a theologian, philosopher by the name of Tupac Shakur, he once said, only God can judge me. And in a sense, he was right. Because every single person who has ever lived one day will be judged, will come before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged by Christ alone. And as Jesus said himself uh, in Matthew 25, 46, from this moment, 
They will go away into eternal punishment or, but the righteous into eternal life. When we move on from this life, we will come before the author of life and give an account of our lives. So how do we prepare for that moment? Because it's a sobering thought, isn't it? You know, Johnny Cash, he once said in an interview, I, I love songs about horses, railroads, land, judgment day, family, hard times, whiskey. So there are some like Johnny Cash who love to listen to songs and talk about judgment day. Maybe you're listening right now and you're like, I love talking about judgment day. You get a judgment day. You get a judgment day. You get a judgment day. But for the rest of us, this is kind of nerve wracking. It's a sobering thought. Because it's a sobering and nerve wracking thing when we are given a verdict any time in our lives for anything. I mean, if you have your driver's license, do you remember uh, when you took that driver's license test? Remember how nervous you were sitting in that car, waiting for the, the person, the interviewer, the examiner to come and sit. Now, you remember how you were talking to yourself like, just do what you practice, look left, make sure you signal the right way. Do you remember how nervous? And then remember when the examiner came and sat down with a literal clipboard and they were marking notes of your every single move. And do you remember that end moment when the examiner said, you passed or you didn't pass? How, how, and this is just for, for driving a car. So the thought of the creator of the universe, who is the rightful judge of the world, who is so big, so holy, and who knows everything. He knows every thought you and I have ever had. He knows every word we've ever uttered. He knows every motivation and intention of our heart there ever was. To come before the divine Bema seat of Christ and to give an account of our lives, it's nerve wracking. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we know Jesus has something to do with that, but how? How does Jesus help us to come before him at the Bema seat? Well, we're given a clue in another portion of scripture in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9:27. God's word reads this way. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. So stop right here. The writer of Hebrews is also affirming what Peter, uh, what Paul, excuse me, taught earlier that we die and we come before the judgment seat, but he continues on. So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now we need to stop here for a moment because this sounds confusing and almost conflicting. It almost sounds contradictory. Because on the one hand, the writer is saying, when we die, we will come before the judgment seat of Christ. But he also says when Christ's return, it's, or the same time as the judgment seat, when Christ returns, it's gonna be salvation. So which, what is it? Is it the judgment seat of Christ? Should we see it as the judgment seat of Christ or should we see it as salvation? Judgment seat of Christ, salvation. Which one is it? Well, I think the writer of Hebrews is saying both. See, the writer of Hebrews, he's doing something really beautiful here. What he's saying is, that the same Christ who will sit on his divine bema seat 
and judge every single person is the same Christ who left his throne and he stepped down into this world and he lived and he achieved the life that no one could ever live or achieve. And it is the perfect life, the perfect life that pleases God. He actually lived that for you and me. And then he died on the cross. Why? What was happening when Jesus was dying on the cross? Here's what was happening. Jesus was absorbing the full penalty and wages of our sin, which is death. In other words, Jesus, he took the full cup of death, the full cup that we're supposed to drink. And instead he drank it himself. He absorbed the fullness of death in his life, which means, which means how we can prepare for this day of the judgment seat is when we place our trust in him, when we place our trust that he can save us, that he lived the life that we could not live, that he died the death that we should have died. When we place our trust in him and we come before this judgment seat, it is also the day of our final salvation because what we will say at this judgment seat is not, look what I have done. Look how hard I lived. Instead, all we will say is, Jesus, you did it. You did it. Jesus, you lived the life I could not live. Jesus, you died the death that I should have died. I only confess your name. See, if you've trusted Jesus, you need to know how beautiful and powerful this is because maybe you're listening right now and you're saying, oh my gosh, this, the idea of a, a Bema seat makes me so nervous because my list is so long. Oh, Steve, you don't know how long my sin list is. Like I got in this one relationship and it was such an unhealthy relationship. I totally regret what I did and I hurt the other person. I'm so ashamed and I carry that with me. Maybe you're saying, I feel like a failure as a parent. Like I, I haven't been present. I've been so impatient and I just feel like an utter failure. Maybe you're saying, I feel so distracted spiritually. I mean, this is my first time tuning into church in like months. Good job, glad you're here. And I just feel so guilty. I feel so guilty. Can I just give you some good news? Um, well, some honest news. Your list, newsflash, is actually longer than you think. Whatever your sin list you think is, it is so much longer than that. See, the good news is not how short our list is. The good news is how long the grace of God, the mercy of God stretches. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him and for those who trust him. And so when you come before the judgment seat, you might have your list, but he also will have a piece of paper, a spiritual receipt that says, your sins paid in full. That's who our Jesus, our judge, our savior is. Maybe you're listening in and you're saying, I, I, I'm, you don't understand. I, I, with white knuckle discipline, I try so hard. I try so hard to live morally and achieve spiritually. I sign up for all the classes and I'm utterly exhausted. And our Jesus, our judge, he says, come to me, all who are weary and I will give you rest. Because see, Jesus is the one who said, it's finished all the spiritual achievement that is needed to come before the judgment seat for it to be salvation, I've done it. I have done it. And so we are invited to collapse into his arms and obey out of a joyful response to what he's already done. Maybe you're listening in and you're saying, I believe all this, but I'm still afraid to die. 
I'm afraid of dying. And I want to encourage you that our Jesus, our Savior Judge, who was present at the beginning of the world, who will be present at the end of the world, is present with you right now in this moment. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And in your last moment on this earth, he will be present with you. And then you will be with him forever as he declares to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is why writers in the New Testament have said that death is not final. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? No, he swallows up death. See, for the Christian, death is not final. It's just a doorway to come to the moment of final salvation where Jesus says, enter into rest. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So there's no one when it comes to death, no one worth trusting in, no greater confession that you and I can make today than trusting in Jesus. And so, you know what? Maybe one day by the grace of God, my mom will see my daughter in her wedding dress. Maybe in the future, as she is with the fellow bride of Christ, she will witness it all. This is the power of Jesus. He makes us unstoppable. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. Not even death can stop God's presence in our lives. That's the power of Jesus. And that's the power of the gospel. But now notice, let's compare that with some of the other worldviews that we examined earlier. I mean, how do these stack up? What's the answer and final result when it comes to death? I mean, if we affirm the view of extinction, can it truly lead to hope? Or does it not lead to pressure and exhaustion and hopelessness? Because if it's really true that we just simply become extinct and everything in this world is just naturalistic and you and I are just walking big cell clumps, then what is your purpose? What is my purpose? Now we are in the pressure cooker of having to discover my purpose, my meaning of life, my identity. And even if I miraculously find that, how can I even know that those things are true? And even if it's good, well, I only live for a little bit before I die. It leads me to a place of exhaustion where there really is not hope. I'm swallowed up in hopelessness. You can say the same thing about the other two, can't you? Because in these two other worldviews, you also have to achieve. You have to achieve. See, in re reincarnation, you have to live a good life. You have to live a good life. You have to achieve and perform. You better care about the environment because you might come back as one of these. So you are tasked with the burden and the crushing pressure of living a beautiful life. But same with memorialization. You better live a good life so that people have beautiful memories about you. But can we just be honest? Aren't there people that you and I have hurt? Aren't there some people that we have disappointed? So now in these views, we are swallowed up with the incredible pressure of living a life we can't live. Trying to produce a meaning that we can't produce. We can't do it. And this is why Jesus is better. This is why Jesus is the best. Because when we move on from this life, we will stand before the author of life and we will give an account of our lives to the one who laid down his life for you and for me. So 
How do we best prepare for that day? By trusting Jesus today. The best way that you and I can prepare for his declaration tomorrow is our confession today. It's to confess Christ. It's to entrust ourselves to Jesus and to say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. But you, you can and you will. Will you trust him today? I love what Martin Luther said, the reformer, such a great quote. He said, there are only two days on my calendar, today and the day of judgment. So will you allow today to be a day that changes that day from a day of judgment to a day of salvation? That's where our Jesus is. He's that good. And so right now, I wanna give you an opportunity right where you are, however you're listening, to place your trust in Jesus. I wanna invite you to join me right now to, to pray with me. You don't have to copy my words. You, it's not the exact verbiage, but it's our hearts. It's the posture of our hearts. Join me in praying something like this. Jesus, one day I'm gonna meet you and I will not have done good enough things to be accepted by my righteousness. I cannot do enough things to cover all the things that I've done wrong. But I believe you have done everything in your life and in your death to make me right with you. I wanna trust you. I believe you, amen. If you made that prayer, I wanna congratulate you. I wanna congratulate you. The scriptures say that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who comes back to God than even 99 who already know him. So if you have trusted him, I wanna congratulate you. And as a church, we wanna journey with you. We wanna walk with you. We wanna resource you to help you grow and be strong in your journey with Jesus. We would love to send you a Bible. We'd love to send you some additional information. So if you can text BELIEVE, BELIEVE to the number that you see on the screen, we would love to send you a Bible and resource you. Again, congratulations. There is rejoicing in heaven right now. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.